Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's becoming apparent to me that we need to do something with Thursday here on the Bottom Line Show. Um, long time ago, when we started the program back in 2011, every day had a different theme. And we did that for a while until we didn't. And there was a reason for doing it, which wasn't terribly scientific, but uh, we decided to stop doing that. And then we kind of shifted the program into quadrants when it was a two-hour broadcast and we would do a god and country segment a sanctity of life segment a uh, fundamentally transforming america segment and a current event segment and every program if you listened regularly and listened for the full two hours of the broadcast back then every half hour had a different theme well now it seems like we've kind of gotten back into the daily themes and it was completely unintentional Um, good news friday has been around for a long time uh, with the bottom line show. We've been doing Good News Friday, I want to say, seven, eight years, easily. Uh, just because it seemed like there was so much bleh in the world <laughs> that it was nice to have some good news to share with you, and we focused just on that. Not to the exclusion of never talking about things that are awkward. Um, as a matter of fact, on tomorrow's edition of the Bottom Line Show, I have some Good News Friday stories that deal with depression and racism and injustice. But there's some good news that's come out of them, even though we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty as to what makes them so difficult. So you can see there's there's a silver lining, if you will, inside of these uh, dark clouds. But Good News Friday, uh, then Super Tuesday showed up, and Super Tuesday was a, a theme day that happened usually during election years, but more often than not, if I do find things that are kind of politically rela- related, we just focus them on Super Tuesday. The next two days showed up just kind of almost inadvertently late last year. And that was Movie Monday and Everyone Wednesday. (laughs) Now, Everyone Wednesday actually started, I think it was back in June. I noticed we had two or three Wednesdays in a row where it seemed like the guests who were coming on to be on the program gave us a lot of stuff to give away. And when we offered a lot of things to give away, we had a ton of people calling in. And so I thought, well, what if we just said everybody who calls in is going to win something because we have some other materials that we give away. And everyone Wednesday. Get it every Wednesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Monday, same thing with movies. I mean, starting about that same time. It seemed like there were so many great releases coming out. And trust me, brothers and sisters, there are a number of other really great, big, huge movies that have come out or will be coming out soon that we don't feature here because no one from the production company reached out and said hey we'd like to you know partner with you so that's why we focus on what we focus on but thursday doesn't have a theme themeless thursday I don't, i'm not quite sure what it would be tv thursday i who knows uh, maybe we'll get a theme maybe we won't but within the context of all of those different different days then you do have a little bit of a respite on Thursdays because we can kind of go freeform. Of course, the National Crawford Roundtable podcast comes up at the second hour of the Bottom Line Show every Thursday. Uh, we carry the first half hour of the program um, during uh, that last 30 minutes of the uh, Bottom Line Show, and then you can hear the whole thing. You can either watch it on My Hope Now the whole hour, or you can hear it terrestrially or on uh, wherever we, uh, wherever you get the podcast of the Bottom Line Show. So that, that comes your way either way. I wanted to kick off this hour, though. We are going to focus on the church again. We're going to focus on some statistics. And we're going to focus on one of the things that we in the body of Christ don't do a very good job of, and that is asking questions. Um, it's amazing to me how many people in the body of Christ don't really have a biblical enough worldview to ask the kinds of questions that would be thought-provoking, provocative, and actually conversation starters for sharing our faith. I mean, God set the table for us back in Genesis. I mean, he really did. When you think about why so many people just kind of get stuck in patterns of sin and disbelief and, and, and rebellion, oftentimes it's because they're not asking the right questions of what they're doing. When Eve and Adam were presented with the prospect of being enticed by the serpent to try the fruit from the knowledge of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't know if it was an apple or a cucumber or a pomegranate, whatever it was. It was enticing. It looked appealing and it was going to taste good. But 
the result of eating that fruit was now Adam and Eve were going to know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and they were going to know things like, oh my gosh, we're different, and we're naked, and I'm embarrassed, and all of us, all these feelings that we never would have had to experience if they had not taken the fruit from the tree. And remember, the enemy didn't say, you know what, go ahead and eat it, it's going to be fine. He asked the question, did God really say you can't eat that fruit? So interestingly enough, when God comes into the picture, walking through the garden in the cool of the evening, God walking through the garden of Eden, oh my gosh, (laughs) how cool would that be? What does he do? He starts asking questions. He asks Adam and Eve, why are you hiding? And Adam says, well, we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Uh, Well, uh, you know, um, you know, and then she tries to throw him under the bus and he tries to throw her under the bus. And next thing you know, we are not asking really good questions at all, because oftentimes we'll ask questions because we just want information. You know, what time is it? That's a good question. How much is that hamburger? You know, th- th- those are I mean, th- they're really transactional. In God's economy, though, I think if we ask better questions of people, you can get more information. You know, why is it that this guy opens up to you and never opens up to me? You know who, if you want a master class at asking really good questions, hang around my wife for a moment. Oh my goodness. Lisa is very strategic and very thoughtful, very prayerful with regard to how she interacts with people and the kinds of questions she asks them. I'll do the surfacey, hey, we're just trying to make conversation, uh, go along to get along while we're at an event or something like that. She's the one who will ask the question that will kind of leave you feeling a little vulnerable, like, oh, wow, that was deep. Because there's more to life than just that surface conversation. Now, take that same concept. We as Christians don't really ask good questions. And especially during this Lenten season, when maybe you've given up something for Lent, maybe you're fasting every third day, or maybe you've stopped eating sweets, or maybe you've added something, you know, a few extra moments in your daily devotional time, or a little more exercise, or something like that to, to sharpen your skills. Ask yourself this question, why do I suck at asking good questions? I mean, seriously. Now, take it from someone who I spent 40 years in this business, and been involved in pastoral ministry, counseling, that type of stuff. I mean, asking questions is kind of a daily habit for me. I mean, I, that, that's what I do. I interview guests, you guys call in, we, we ask questions, we get answers. We, I think we, the, Michael Card has a, a beautifully simple rhetorical song on his present reality album called Could It Be? Question. And basically, uh, he asks a lot of rhetorical questions. But one of the questions he asked in the chorus is, uh, could it be, Lord, you make your presence felt more often by your absence? Could it be that questions tell us more than answers ever do? I mean, it just it's a, a nice, thoughtful pop song that gets us deeper in the discussion. How many people open the Bible, for example, and read the words on the page, take it basically at face value, and then off they go? If that's the way we are trying to study scripture here in 2023, we're in for a rough ride because people outside the church are asking questions about scripture like, well, what do you mean you can't use pornography? What do you mean there's no such thing as homosexuality? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And there are so many Christians who are ill-prepared, not because they can't give a good answer to the question that's been asked, but because they've never asked that question themselves. I mean, you can play gotcha cutesy all you want to with God's word. Well, you know, cigarette smoking isn't that bad because there's another verse in the Bible that says you can't smoke cigarettes, right? Internet porn, eh? well, you know, gambling, hey, you know. Well, no, it may not use those exact words, but what about the principles behind those words? I mean, the words have their own meanings and we can take them at face value, but if you look at the spirit behind what's there, I have to wonder how many Christians right now are looking at the world, throwing up their hands and saying, the only hope for us is not the Asbury revival or the Cedarville revival. The only hope for us is a godly president who will make sure that Congress doesn't pass any goofy laws. Now that's a very thin reading of scripture that says Romans 13, support the authorities and God ordains governments, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I often get that. 
But have you ever met a family who had a child who left the church when they were, maybe they were in high school and they never came back and then you ask the question, well, what happened? Was it a bad experience with the youth group? Were the kids mean to him or her? And the response often is, well, my son went through a season where he thought he was gay. And he went to the youth pastor and he talked to the youth pastor and the youth pastor said, well, you should go home and read your Bible instead of giving him a decent answer. How many of us would ask that question? I mean, that wasn't my son's story, but I mean, it's a lot of parents' stories. Marty Solomon is a Bible scholar. Marty Solomon is a guy who uh, hosts a podcast that helps brothers and sisters like you and me uh, do a better job of understanding Scripture. He, this is his first time writing a book, and it's a great one. He started out with a real bang. Uh, the book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Wary, and Longing for More. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I've asked Marty to join me on the other side of this break so we can have this conversation about why do we stink so bad at asking questions of the Bible? And rather than walking around saying, hey, I got hurt by the church or a bad interpretation of Scripture, let's get some answers. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. This is an exciting time. We just finished our first movie. We had a great turnout from KBRT, and we want you to know that you're invited to the second one. Those of you who missed it, because we know there's quite a few who would like to have come, it's going to be on February the 25th. It's going to be at the Gem Theater. They're going to have free popcorn, free sodas, and free hot dogs. It's a fun location. It's a fun place to go and take you back in time. But really what it does is it's even more fun to get the information because the information that you get can really be vital to where you are now or where you're going to be in five years from now. And so when do you start thinking about retirement? Well, you better start thinking about it now. And and so this will get you ahead of the ball, get you ahead of the curve. We can't emphasize enough that it is really a, for lack of a better word, it's a non-denominational movie. It's just there to give you the facts and let you disseminate how and what you're going to do with your future. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. One of the most important lessons in life is how to communicate effectively with people. And one of the ways that we do effective, effectively communicate with people is a way that many of us in the body of Christ don't really do a good job of. And today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Marty Solomon, who's a theologian, president and director of discipleship for Impact Campus Ministries, creator and executive producer of the Bema podcast. And he is the author of a brand new book that I just love the title. For no other reason, I wanted to meet Marty just to get a hold of this title. The title is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible. A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty Solomon, welcome to The Bottom Line. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for making time. Well, it's, it, and likewise, I appreciate you doing so as well, because I know you're a busy broadcaster and, and Bible scholar. Um, why is it that when it comes to questioning Scripture, we oftentimes, I think the American church especially is guilty of this. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We don't really want to dig around. <laughs> we forget all the iron sharpening iron parts of the Bible and stuff like that. Why do we in the American church not do a great job of asking good questions of the Bible? Well, I think it's just we we all come to the scripture with scriptures with our own contextual assumptions. We bring we bring the needs of our own world to the Bible when we come to read the Bible. We mm. we have our own questions, we have our own situations and problems, and we want the Bible to speak to those things. That's only natural. But then what ends up happening is we pull the Bible, we try to get the Bible to meet us on our terms mm-hmm. rather than meeting the Bible on its terms because it's having conversations that it's trying to pull us into. And when we get that backwards, it's easy to get things a little twisted pull them a little sideways and start answering questions that the Bible isn't even asking. So that's part of, I think, why we end up in those spaces. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've noticed in recent years is we've seen the growth of what might be called progressive Christianity is a lot of people are, you know, kind of reverting back to it. it it's it's a little childish, I think, but I think it underscores the point with where we are. Culture on the whole has gone from why do we allow these things to why not allow these things? And so then all of a sudden the floodgates are wide open, you know, instead of yeah. saying, well, we have laws against this for a reason, it's kind of reflecting God's natural law. Then all of a sudden it's, well, why shouldn't we have this? And a lot of people just can't give a good answer. Um, talk about, you call this seeing the text in context. I mean, a lot of people, it, it would appear, have kind of moved away, even in seminaries, from the idea that the scriptures are the divinely inspired word of God, as opposed to the, I saw this, I heard this, I witnessed this. 
Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that I'm very indebted to, you know, I've had to go through my own process. I think what the kids would call deconstruction these days, mm -hmm. we were doing it 20 years ago before it was cool, but, um, you know, I had to go through that own pro that, that own process of my own. But one of the things that I never, in light of all the things that I questioned and all the things that I had to pull apart, the two things I never had any doubts about was Jesus and the Bible. I mean, I've doubted the church. I've doubted the people around it. I've doubted the teaching. I've doubted the, the, the theology and the systems that got me there. But I've always been pretty relatively confident in the person of Jesus and the and the authority of the scriptures. And and so that's that's where I start. And that's actually why I feel comfortable asking questions and expressing doubts or deconstructing, because I know the Bible's big enough to take that. And if I keep pressing through that, I end up, I think in, in, in the first chapter, I say something about, I think we assume doubts always come from a place of criticism, but mm -hmm. sometimes doubts come from a place of confidence. Like we actually believe the Bible's bigger than we realize. We're missing something. There must be something that we're not seeing. And I, I think that's a beautiful space to live in. Yeah, that's that phrase, the benefit of the doubt, gets kind of tossed by the wayside if you're, you're doing the opposite of what you just described, Marty Solomon. Yep. And I'm grateful that you brought up that point. Marty Solomon, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Is there a simple solution as to why we don't ask better questions, Marty? And what I'm thinking isn't something you address in the book is oftentimes I'll see what's happening. I was watching a promo reel for some ministry that's looking to do some fundraising and they showed all these different things. And I thought, man, that's just so American of them. You know, here are the kids sure. playing basketball. Here's the, you know, all the youth camps and all the other yep. things that we think are essential. Is it an East versus West problem that creates the, the idea that the Western church in particular will take things, quote unquote, on faith and not really ask good questions of what they're reading? You know, I think a lot of those things matter. Um, I think the bigger, I think maybe a, a more, uh, uh, maybe the best place to start is by asking a, a, a foundational fundamental question of what we call in the book, authorial intent. The inspired conversation in the Bible is the one taking place between the author and their audience. So if we can start almost every investigate, almost every exegetical project, every interpretation of the scripture by saying, what did the author mean when they wrote this? And what did the audience hear when they, that's a pretty good starting place to start asking better questions, start having a better conversation, because from there, it leads to a hundred other better questions. But mm -hmm. it's that foundational question of remembering this conversation took place 2000 years ago between a Jewish teacher and a predominantly Jewish community of faith or whatever those things might be. And that shapes the conversations that they're having, the assumptions that they're bringing to the text and all of those things. Hmm. Marty Solomon's new book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It just came out. It's called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, the weary, and the longing for more. And I realized as you were talking about, you know, that that idea, who, who was this originally intended for? You're going to put a lot of uh, T-shirt and bumper sticker manufacturers out of business when they can't make, you know, just an easy killing off of <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11 and Philippians uh, 4, 13. But you got to yeah. get the context here. Um, talk about the, the, you talk about something you call reading wisdom with wisdom. Uh, talk about what that means. I mean, a lot of people, you hear the Bible teacher, the pastor is, okay, we're teaching verse by verse in the Bible, and you've heard enough of these sermons too, where it's just like, okay, well, this is what it says, and this is what I think it means without really doing a deep study or even praying over it. Talk about how wisdom can help us read wisdom. Yeah, wisdom's always been one of the hardest parts in the Bible for me. It was one of the hardest chapters for me to even write in this book. So uh, I, even your question makes me nervous today. But that, uh, <laughs> there are no wrong gives, answers. Yeah. yeah. Just... <laughs> so, uh, but wisdom is this thing that always appears like one of the most straightforward, concrete, like they're proverbs. Like how much more straightforward can you get than a proverb? Right. And yet it doesn't take you long to sit with a proverb before you realize you. This isn't straightforward at all. This is clouded in all kinds of complexity and nuance. Like the Proverbs will, there's two Proverbs that we talk about in the chapter that sit right next to each other. One Proverb says, answer a fool in his folly, or you'll be made to look like a fool. The very next Proverb, the next Proverb says, don't answer a fool in his folly, <laughs> or you'll be drug into, and you're just like, wait a minute, am I supposed to answer a fool or not? And that's, that all depends on the situation. And that's what wisdom is for. Wisdom's trying to teach us how to think and how to think deeper than just on the surface. It's inviting us to go down and, and get a few le levels underneath what we're used to. And so you have to read wisdom with wisdom. You have to realize that wisdom is not 
And the one thing it's not is straightforward. It's actually very complicated, but that's the beauty of what it is and why it comes with us into those situations. It's kind of scary, Marty, to think about the fact that what you described, the way I heard it was there's a certain fluidity to wisdom and we yeah. don't want that. We want it to be concrete. I, I need this solid foundation upon Christ, the solid rock I stand wisdom, not the uh, what you just described in Proverbs wisdom, which sounds very confusing. And that might be a little alarming, which would lead someone to say, I don't want to be alarmed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And that, but that's, that's what makes wisdom wisdom. And wisdom isn't um, the readily accessible, uh, you know, we might use metaphors like the milk and the, you know, the milk of newborns versus the meat of the, the, the spiritual food. But I, I mean, there's a, there is scripture is supposed to go with us and take us places. It's supposed to transform us and change us. And so scripture is not always going to be that comfortable place and that's okay. Marty Solomon is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the president of Impact Campus Ministries and author of a brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty, in your work with Impact Campus Ministries, how's it? how long have you done this ministry? How have things changed in the collegiate world over, the say, the past 5, 10, 15 years? Oh, man. Um, I, you know, everybody talks about how uh, there's such a widening, uh, uh, a gap in the relationship between young adults and the church. And I would say that that's somewhat true. I also would say that in some weird way, I have more hope today than ever before, because they're far more curious, they're far more equipped, they're far more driven to um, find something of substance. I think part of the thing that sets them apart from their millennial counterparts is they're not here to just consume stuff. Uh, mm. They've got too much cynicism for that. And so mm. they're here to find something that, and that's, if we can help guide and steer and direct that, that's going to lead us. I mean, I mean, we're told a lot in the Bible about what happens when you search for truth and you search for God, whether or not, whether that may be the label you're using or not, if that's really what you're looking for, you're going to find it. And um, so we just got to have some good people doing the work, uh, church ready to evolve and and receive them and and do the things necessary to reach a generation. All those things are what the spirit leads us to do. So I, I have a lot that. of hope. Yeah, well, I'm getting hope for listening to your conversation here today about what you're describing, Marty Solomon. Marty is the president of Impact Campus Ministries, the author of the brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We haven't even gotten into the Gospels yet or uh, the apocalyptic revelations that everybody seems to be clamoring for concrete, tangible answers for. Uh, we'll solve all of those world problems in the next 10 minutes on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in just a moment. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Marty Solomon, my guest. We're talking about uh, his brand new book that helps us take a look at Scripture with a fresh set of eyes and to do so in ways that now more than ever before, the world is asking questions about our faith. And oftentimes the reason we don't have a good answer is we don't ask good questions of the Bible ourselves. Marty's book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, wary, and longing for more. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got a copy of the book that we're giving away right now. And since you tuned in early to the program, you get first dibs, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, this is the type of resource that will help you as a believer understand, okay, if I was born in the U.S., heck, if I was born in California, Colorado, I was born in the western part of the world and the western part of the United States, how is my perspective on God's word 
different than people in the East. You know, like all of the writers of the Bible. Um, what, what is prophetic literature? What's not? Why is there a subversive nature in the gospel accounts? I mean, with the story behind the story, you can read the words at face value, but take a look at Luke's gospel, for example, and a lot of it, many scholars believe, was actually written in code. This most excellent Theopolis was kind of a generic, could have been anyone name in Rome. And he was writing under a, kind of in a code of, I don't want to go to prison for this, but I want to tell this story. So there's intrigue, there's passion. There are literary devices in the Torah that if we don't pay close attention to them, we won't get the full meaning of how rich the scriptures really are. Marty Sullivan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about his brand new book. It's called Asking Better Questions of the Bible. And this is a guide that Marty says has been designed for the uh, wounded, the wary, and the longing for more who are in the church right now or maybe outside the church and looking for a way to kind of reconnect. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And remember, we have one copy of this book, but we have lots of other resources too. So trust me, if you call that number in, Crystal or Teresa answers the phone and you say, well, gosh, I didn't win the Marty Solomon book, but do you have something on... Trust me, they'll take care of you. Uh, if for no other reason, call and ask for the Wilson, Dennis Wilson tickets for the movie this sa- uh, Saturday afternoon. More of my conversation with Marty Solomon in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Marty Solomon, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Marty is the host of the BAMA podcast, executive creative directed guy. How long have you been doing the podcast, Marty? It sounds like seems like it's got a, a really good uh, set of legs. Yeah, we started doing that in 2016, and it probably just motored along for a little bit for two, almost three years. And then all of a sudden, we saw this uptick and a growth curve, and then we were trying to steward something. I mean, we weren't really trying to start a podcast. We were just trying to put some online content for our students. Sure. And then it became this thing we've been trying to steward ever since. So Love hopefully it. we're doing a good job. Well, it sounds like it. I mean, you, you've got a great communicator's voice on the speaking and the visual side, and then the writing side, of course, which is uh, oftentimes half the battle. You find yeah. some really great writers who can't speak and good speakers who aren't great yeah. writers. So yep. the fact that you're putting these two together, it's a real gift. Uh, Marty's book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Marty, you're no doubt familiar with the phenomenon, The Chosen, and how popular that uh, uh, web series basically has become. And one of the the reasons people seem to like it is because of the so-called real and relatable Jesus. But one of the reasons people don't like it is because they really try to adhere to the harmony of the Gospels. Um, you've got a chapter in your book about asking better questions of the Bible about that very issue of we call it the good news, we call these the gospel accounts, but then there's some places where they seem to either, one leaves out something the other one put in, or there might even be some disagreement in there. How do we understand what the you know the core issues are that we should be reading the gospels for? Well, the chosen really has a, a job cut out for them, having to make those decisions to produce the thing they're trying to produce. They gotta make some real artistic 
decisions about how to how to how to wrestle with that very thing. So I I, I happen to love the production that they've put together. We got a chance to interview Dallas on the podcast. We do an nice. episode by episode commentary, and I've just been impressed. And I was not going to be impressed. I was going to be a hard <laughs> sell. Yeah, but they've got and and obviously there are decisions they make here and there. But when we're doing the work of biblical interpretation and not creating a TV show or something like that. We have some real decisions to make about how we engage in what we might call the harmony of the Gospels. Do we harmonize stories or not? And there's a place for that. There's a really good place to put stories together and harmonize for a whole list of reasons. But one of the things I think we we haven't done enough of is appreciate each Gospel in its particular lane, because mm. every Gospel writer wrote their Gospel for a reason and an audience and a purpose. And so Matthew's agenda, and we bristle against that because we're like, well, things aren't supposed to have an, an agenda, but they do. They have an inspired agenda, an sure. agenda that comes from God. Matthew has an agenda that he wants to communicate to his Jewish audience, and that's different than the agenda that Mark wants to communicate to a Roman audience. And when you realize that, you're like, that only makes sense. You wouldn't want to have the same conversation with a Jew than you would a Roman. And, and you see that reflected in their Gospels. And Luke is the same, and John is the same. So again, understanding that helps us ask a better set of questions rather than how do these stories fit together historically? What is John trying to say that's so radically different than Luke? And all of a sudden now I'm going, oh, I'm having, now, now I'm cooking with gas when it comes to biblical interpretation and, and, and we're in a good spot. I once talked to a pastor who was discussing the issue of some of the potential challenges he faced with the the church assignment that he had. And he said, you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I came to this new church and anytime I try to preach a lesson or, you know, some kind of sermon outside of the Pauline epistles, nobody listens. You know, they're just, it's <laughs> you, you give us in your book, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, uh, learning about the letters. Talk about what we can take from them. Again, obviously the context is key, but something tells me we're picking and choosing certain aspects without really understanding the full context of what Paul was writing or what Peter was writing. Yeah, absolutely. And we do love the letters. And we love the letters because they're a little bit more Greek. They're a little bit more imperative and straightforward. It's all about application. And application isn't fuzzy and cryptic and rabbinic and weird. And Jesus, he talks in parables and his teachings have depth and color. And he's a Jewish teacher talking to Jewish audiences with Jewish methods. And it kind of throws us off. So we do gravitate because we can understand Paul's letters or Peter's, even Peter's letters or John, we understand the letters a little bit more readily than we understand the Gospels. The danger is that we have weighted the conversation in such a way that we start to interpret Jesus through the lens of Paul and mm. the apostles, which I think would make them roll over in their graves if they knew mm -hmm. we were doing that. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to help us apply Jesus, but make no mistake about it, Jesus is the whole point. Jesus is the culmination and the embodiment of the narrative, the incarnation of the story itself. And so they're trying to apply. And so one of the statements I make in the Paul and the Pauline chapter about the letters is, um, we tend to make Paul our ethic and Jesus our misiologist, but that's backwards. It's Jesus who is our ethic, and Paul is our our missiologist. He's the one telling us how to be on mission and what that looks like. But Jesus is the one setting the setting the north star and telling us what the what the ethic really truly does look like. Boy, this is great conversation with Marty Solomon today here on the Bottom Line, host of the Bema Podcast and author of the brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible: A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I know there are a lot of people, we hear from them here at the bottom line, you no doubt hear them uh, either on the podcast or or through your work with uh, Impact Campus Ministries with regard to that, that that wounding part, you know, someone who's been hurt by the church or that kind of dogmatic te teaching. And it would be disingenuous for us to say, well, I'm, I'm really sorry that that's a problem for them, but I don't suffer from that. Um, how, Marty, how do we take, we've got about four minutes left in our conversation, and I want to give you enough time to kind of stretch out on this. What are some good first steps that we can take to move away from that? I mean, e either because we were wounded or maybe we were doing things that are wrong and we may be inadvertently wounding other people with our limited interpretation of what Scripture actually says. Yeah, that that is really the heart of the book. Uh, we, you know, we wrote this because there are so many bad readings of the Bible, and the moment you have a bad reading of the Bible, it's easy to leverage it, to use it, to weaponize it, to systematize that, mm -hmm. and and it, that's where a lot of that wounding come from. The Bible itself, appropriately interpreted on its own, is not going to wound anybody. It's going to set people free. Right. Bad readings of the Bible may not. We, we can't trust them nearly as much. And so, to give us the tools to read the Bible well, um, what what. 
the tragedy of this whole thing is when we came up with that subtitle, the publisher and I, there was never a conversation about whether or not were we targeting too narrow of an audience? Hmm. There was that we nobody had to answer that question because the wounded, the wary, and the longing for more is very much almost all of us. And that really says something to where we're at as as a people. And I don't say that to be doomsday or over cynical, but we do have good work in front of us to ask better questions, to come up with better, excuse me, to rediscover better readings of the Bible and see where that takes us. Yeah. You know, and, and toward that end, better readings. Um, I appreciate the fact that you don't back away from prophecy or or you know, revelation or anything of the sort in here, because it, in an overview book like this, I mean, you really do take some deep dives or at least, you know, some uh uh, you know, submerging to get a little nourishment and come back up again and keep flying. Um, with all the talk about, you know, what's happening in the world right now and uh, concerns that people have, um, what? how does a resource like Asking Better Questions of the Bible help us as Christians be able to look at prophecy or the apocalyptic type of things that are going to happen and not, well, like you put it so well, without losing our mind, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it is easy. And it's easy when we want to connect the dots to our current events. And so, yeah. you know, what what we try to do in the book is after you've, and it's, it's at the end, which is good, because now we've gotten used to a hermeneutic. We've gotten used to asking a certain set of questions. None of this stuff has necessarily thrown us off. And then we get to apocalyptic literature and we start to lose our mind, but we just say, no, wait, it's the same hermeneutic. It's the same approach. It's the same set of questions. What did the authors mean when they wrote this? What did the audience hear when they when they heard it? And that's probably going to keep us away from worrying about Russia and North Korea because right. it's going to put us back in first century Rome and allow us to hear the story for what it is. And that's going to help us have a much more grounded, much less electric and explosive reading of Revelation or any other apocalyptic literature. Boy, that's so helpful. And Marty, I appreciate the way you've broken it down for us in a in a way that's kind of, oh, I don't want to say pithy, and it's cer certainly not easy, but there is a simplicity to it that is very refreshing and uh, hopefully very beneficial to our listeners. Marty Solomon, the president of Impact Campus Ministries, has been my guest. We've been discussing his brand new book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, weary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty, great to get to meet you. And uh, for those who are watching along on uh, my hope now.com. I mean, I, I'll never rival Marnie's beard. That's for sure. I mean, he's got that going for indeed, but uh, uh, thank you for being with us today here on the program. Really appreciate the time. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks for making it. Great book, intriguing title, a wonderful resource, and so grateful to have the conversation today with Marty Solomon. The book, again, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, wary, and longing for more. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you have found yourself on the receiving end of one of those questions where someone asks you a question about your faith and you try to pull out your 1 Peter 3.15 uh, apologetic uh, handbook and say, okay, how can I give an answer to this question and give a reason for my faith? And you want them to ask the Sunday school question, right? You want the person who asks you the question to say, um, hey, how did you become a Christian? How important is Jesus in your life? You know, Tell me about your love of God and the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of question we want. Here's the question we get. Why does God hate transgender people? Why aren't homosexuals welcome at your church? What, so what? It's sex. It's no big deal. Why do I have to get married? Those, that's the way the 1 Peter 3.15 question really comes up in your life. Your kid's gay? I thought he was a Christian. That's the way it comes up. And you know, the reason so many people walk away frustrated is not because they didn't like the answer that they got from the, the Christian who gave them a good, godly, loving, biblical answer. I believe, anecdotally, that the reason why most people get frustrated with Christians is when they ask a question like that, they'll usually get a Bible thrown back in their face saying, read this, you know, it, because it's sin. Okay, I got news for you. You probably figured this out, but the world doesn't care about sin the way we do. It's kind of like the quote-unquote common sense gun reforms that we hear so much about from our congressional leaders. Every time there's a mass shooting, Michigan State last week, just another example, eight wounded, three dead. 
common sense gun reform would have kept this from happening. Well, okay. First of all, the guy with the gun was good and grown. 43-year-old man. A little despondent over the past couple of years because his mother passed away. And I'm not here to uh, decry or condemn anyone who loses a parent from doing something rash. There's not an excuse. I'm certainly not condoning it. But I'm not going to condemn someone for saying, hey, I just wasn't in my right mind at that moment. My dad died. My mom died. And I don't know how to handle it. I'll give you that. Getting a gun and shooting eight people at Michigan State, now that's extreme. And I, I don't get that and I can't give you that. But you know at least one person who left your church because they had a question about a controversial issue and either they didn't like the answer that they received, which was biblical, but kind of hard to swallow, or they didn't get an answer. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer for the reason that you have this hope with gentleness and respect. That means you have to get asked any sort of question that people are dealing with right now Will you come to my son's wedding to his husband? You know, uh, hey, can you help my kid out? You know, he's got a problem with the law because he uses drugs and drives too much. And uh, I, I, you're, a, you're a lawyer, right? And you're a Christian. Why won't you help him out? He's really a good kid. I mean, they come and try to come at you with those types of questions. Well, wouldn't the Bible say, you know, friend loves at all times, you know, good Samaritan and all that stuff? We have to be really well prepared. But to do so, we have to do a deep dive in Scripture. We have to be willing to ask those questions. The Bible, how how come the Scriptures don't say anything about? (laughs) And Marty Solomon does a great job for us. If you didn't catch the entire interview, please go back to thebottomlineshow.com or myhopenow.com and you can listen to or watch the interview in its entirety. Again, Marty Solomon, the book is called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, wary, and longing for more. There's a link up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving away a copy of the book right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, I want to give you a little exercise. Let's all do this together, shall we? Uh, I'll ask the question And then you write it down and then be prepared to follow up on what the question is. A publication recently published an article about asking your parents questions before they're no longer able to ask or be asked those questions. And I found it very charming, very sentimental. My folks are both pushing 90 this June. And so, you know, obviously we think about, you know, the, that uh, final, you know, you're running life's marathon and you don't know how long it's going to take you to make those last few laps. It might take several years. It might take a couple of months. But, you know, <laughs> my daughter Kaylee says, this is the time when grandma and grandpa, you know, people of that age, they're running into the stadium and the crowd, you know, the great cloud of witnesses comes to their feet and they, they're cheering and all that stuff. It's, it's awesome. It really is an awesome moment. But how many people have that moment, that experience where they are trying to say goodbye to a loved one. There's some things they really wanted to ask them and they never got around to it. I'm going to give you a little primer for doing so and talk about why this is important, not only for us, but in God's economy as well. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're still taking your calls for Marty Solomon's book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Weary, and Longing for More. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And oh, by the way, um, there's still a few tickets left to go to see Dennis Wilson's screening of the movie The Baby Boomer Dilemma, the documentary where they interviewed the guy who invented the 401k. You want to learn about how IRAs work, individual retirement accounts, and why your pension may not be as worth much today as it was when you first got into it. What about your life insurance for retirement? I mean, these are all questions that a lot of people have never really bothered to ask before. (laughs) Just, I put money in the 401k and it'll be there when I retire, right? Uh, Well, um, (laughs) uh, you know. Uh, Those are questions that need to be asked and answered. Dennis Wilson has tickets. You can either call us here at the Bottom Line Show, 800-227-5278. Saturday, 
this coming Saturday, Feb 25, 11.30 a.m., Gem Theater in Garden Grove. Meet Dennis. Free soda, free popcorn, free hot dogs, too. Just like when we were kids and we used to ride our bike to the movie theater and go to that matinee showing. Only this is a matinee showing of saying, what happened to my retirement and how can I make sure that I have enough money to cover everything? Uh, free tickets for the Baby Boomer Dilemma documentary movie screening, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, or you can call Wilson Financial directly. That toll-free number is 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970. Okay, so here's the scenario. Your parents are getting up there in, in years, or you're getting up there because you're the parent. And you don't know how long you have. We all like to think, oh, Roger, you're 61. You've got plenty of time. I was talking to one of my daughters the other day. Last time, actually, I was in Texas visiting Emily and Brian. And I was talking about legacy and things like that. And she said, Dad, you're talking like you're going to be gone in another month. I mean, you're going to be here for another 20 years at least. Uh, I have a surgically remanufactured heart. And when they put this valve and everything in to keep it going, they said these typically last 8 to 10 years. That was five years ago. So I know I'm on stoppage time. It could be another 20 years, could be 30, it could be less than that. But you start thinking about the legacy you leave behind and there I'm sure are questions that you have not asked your parents that you've always wanted to know, but gosh, I don't know, you know. And sometimes your parents have the capacity to answer them. Their speech is good, they're, uh, they're thinking clearly, hearing great. Other times, you know, quite frankly, Maybe the speech is a little slurred, maybe a little dementia setting in, and you don't have the opportunity. So I wanted to share this with you. Fatherly.com posted this about dads, but I think this is something that uh, we could do for all parents, and as parents, or grandparents, as we're getting up there, these are things for us to think about in terms of our legacy as well, because these are great conversation starter questions. Here's the first one. Mom, dad, what are you most proud of in your life? Let's be honest, most of us think we have a pretty good idea of who our parents are, and most of our parents may even think they have a pretty good idea of who they are. But a question like that really opens things up. A lot of people say, oh, my family, or your, your mom or your dad, you know, the, 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 the family house, you know, sending you kids to college, whatever it is. But you might find out that the response says, well, you know, I've never really thought about that before. Or... Gosh, you know, I've never shared this with anybody, but, you know. Uh, what are you most proud of in your life? It's a good question to ask your parents now while they're still able to answer it. The second one is, why did you choose your career? Now, in some families, like the Marsh household growing up, that was easy because we talked about that stuff a lot. How my dad got into teaching, his parents were kind of serial entrepreneurs that didn't really have a lot of consistency, and so he wanted... Uh, you know, steady job and, you know, do something musical. And he did church choir directing and that's what he did. And my mom loved kids and wanted to be a first grade teacher and did so for 30 years. And, you know, th those are easy. But in a lot of families, you don't know, hey, dad, how come you got stuck? Remember that episode of The Wonder Years where Kevin is talking about his dad and his dad's job? And this is before Take Your Kid to Work Day. And his dad worked for Norcom, you know, which is supposed to be like some defense contracting thing or whatever. He was a pencil pusher. And Kevin goes to work with uh, uh, his dad. And I, it's Dan Laurie. I can't remember the, the, the father's character in the show. But the, he goes to work with them, puts on a shirt and tie, carries a briefcase. When he comes home at the end of the day, dad comes through the door like he always did. And Kevin comes in acting just like him. He's eight years old. A lot of parents, you know, just kind of fell into what they do. Here's another one. Who was the most influential person in your life? True story. I asked this question of my parents, but I did it in kind of a roundabout way. That was the answer I got, but that wasn't the question I asked. The question I asked was, why did you name me Roger? My father's name is Warren. My mother's name is Catherine. I have absolutely no idea why my dad's named Warren. Um, I don't think we've ever had that conversation. My mom's Catherine Millie because she was named after her two grandmothers. But when my dad started talking about the guy that he named, or he and my mom wanted to name me for, uh, first he said, oh yeah, Roger Weed, he was Weems. He was the first boss I had when I was teaching in El Rancho High School in Pico Rivera. And I thought, great, my dad's a workaholic and he named me after his boss. <laughs> How wonderful is that, right? But it's only been in the last year that both of my parents said, no wait, Roger, he, was a, he, he taught at Whittier High School 
and then he became a principal there and he was like our favorite teacher when we were going to school. Good godly man, member of the church, sang in the choir. And they started talking about all these wonderful attributes. And then when El Rancho opened up uh, in the Pico Rivera School District, they had uh, four high schools open up all at once because there were so many kids moving in. And he got the job to be principal. And he hired my dad to be the uh, choral music director there. And they, all of a sudden, I could just see, I mean, they had tears in their eyes talking about this guy. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so flattered. I'm so, I mean... Wow, that both my mom and dad had such a high level of respect for this man and they named me after him. I'm 61 and a half and I just found this out last year. Other questions. What did you admire most about your own dad? What's your life's biggest lesson? I mean, there are some questions here that, you know, maybe you already know, but I think it's important for us to start thinking this way because this is something we can apply to every aspect of our life, not just our parents and that relationship in the family. We're talking about learning how to ask good questions this hour, uh, whether it's of the Bible, of our friends and family, of ourselves, or of the Lord. Uh, More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about asking good questions, uh, something that just kind of jogged my uh, my thinking, my thought process after my conversation earlier this hour with Marty Solomon. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Pastor Marty Solomon, the author of the book, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Wary, and Longing for More. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You've got a few moments left to get in on the conversation uh, to see if you can win a copy of the book. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, Marty gave us a good primer on how to ask better questions of Scripture. And during this Lenten season, I encourage you to spend more time in your own devotional uh, asking better questions of the Bible and of your own interpretation of Scripture. Um, I'll put this article up to it from fatherly.com up to the bottom line show.com. 12 important questions to ask your dad before he's no longer able to answer these questions. You know, certain things. One of the questions I didn't uh, bring up in the last segment, what's the one mistake that tossed you most about life? What one world event has had the most impact on you? What did you enjoy most about being the fa- your father? And what is the hardest moment you ever had as a dad? And then finally, what's one story about you that I've never heard? I shared with you in the last break, the one story that I had never heard was a full lecture, if you will, about how I got my name. But I'll tell you, I mean, it's amazing to ask these questions. When you go through this exercise, maybe you won't do it with your parents. Maybe you'll do it with your friends or whatever. But think about how many times you've come before God and you're not asking him questions. You're giving him your to-do list. You're not necessarily diving into scripture. You're just kind of letting it wash over you as you listen to it or read it or watch it. You pull out the version app and kind of check off the box and wait a minute. I mean, this is about, this is the connection that we have, the living word of God, the bread of life that's going to sustain us through all eternity. Why wouldn't we want to spend some time nourishing ourselves with it? I love the art of asking good questions. When one of my daughters was going into middle school and she knew in a science class that they were going to be teaching evolution, and she asked me, Dad, how do I handle it? I mean, I, I don't want to get bad grades on tests, but I believe in what God created, the heavens and the earth. And I said, honey, the key is not so much to regurgitate what they tell you to say back. Just ask good questions about why they're teaching you this. And I'll never forget the first day she came home from school and she said, Dad, I kept asking these questions and my teacher wouldn't answer them. And she was excited because she was learning more from the unanswered questions than she ever would have gotten from just reciting what she had been told to repeat. Thank you for tuning into the Bottom Line Show today. At this point, we say adieu to our KCBC Bottom Line listeners, and uh, you've got Rabbi Schneider waiting for you. For those who remain on the network, it's time for this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. It's all coming up next as the Bottom Line continues.